This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 37, and we are recording on Tuesday, July 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. It's Tuesday. <laughs> it feels like Monday for some reason, but it is it Tuesday. Really I woke up going, why isn't it Friday? Like, <laughs> thinking it was Thursday, but then it was it was just Tuesday, and now I have sads. Oh, <laughs> don't have sads. Have happies. <laughs> okay. I'm working on it. Okay. I'll have more coffee, and then I'll be fine. Yeah. So we have news. We do Tell have us the news. news. So we have Book Riot Live news. Uh, mm-hmm. Mara Wilson, everybody's favorite faceless old woman who lives in your house from the Welcome to Night Vale podcast, <laughs> slash also Matilda, slash the little girl girl from Miracle on 34th Street, slash a million other things, is coming to Book Riot Live. Oh, this yeah. This is so exciting. Doing a dance. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, uh, she's so she's joining our amazing speaker lineup, and we have a special discount code just for you listeners. So if you go to bookriotlive.com, and when you register, you put in the code JazzHands, JazzHands, for twenty dollars off. Uh, you will get twenty dollars off your weekend pass, um, and it'll give you like ten bucks off of the day pass if you're more of a day pass person. But twenty bucks off your weekend pass. Code JazzHands, courtesy of Get Booked. We would love to see you there because it's going to be so much fun. You should really check out the speaker lineup again because in addition to Mara Wilson, we have a lot of other amazing people. Um, but I'll stop talking about it now. But code jazz hands, 20 bucks off your weekend pass, bookrightlive.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> woo, 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 woo. Come hang out with us in New York. Okay, so if you are new to the show, uh, this is, like I said, a personalized reading recommendation show. So you can send us your reading recommendation requests and we will answer them on the show. You can email them to us at getbooktobookright.com or at the bottom of each um, section of show notes on the site, there's a form. You can drop your question in there. If your question is time sensitive, please put it in the subject line or at the very top of your question so that we can um, get to it in time for whatever it is you have going on. Um, We do get tons and tons of questions, and we are trying to get to all of them. Um, So that is our pseudo-promise, maybe. We will get to your, (laughs) as as long as it is within our power and our one-hour time limit every week, we will get to your question. So that is how it works, and we're going to get started. I'm going to read the first question, and then uh, Jen will tell us about our first sponsor, and then we will get to our answer. So this is from Kate. This is actually a (laughs) four-part question. So we have split it into two. We're we're each going to take two parts and give you one recommendation per part, um, so we're not here, so it's not the Kate show. Although we would love to have a Kate show. I'm sure it would be very nice. Anyway, so the question is, I'm looking for book recommendations for myself. I have several prompts below. Please keep in mind that I'm a dedicated book right reader and listener, so I've probably heard of some of the, fa- the favorites that are regularly discussed on your various podcasts and website posts. Uh, in fact, thanks to Book Riot, my reading life has vastly improved. Well, thank you. Okay, so the first book she's looking for is historical fiction told from a female point of view. Examples that she's liked to have included Codename Verity and Rose Under Fire. The second one is audiobooks in the vein of Bill Bryson and Mary Roach. Number three is historical romance with a strong, confident female character. She really enjoys Beverly Jenkins, Courtney Milan, and Sarah McLean. And number four is poetry. I've read very little poetry to date and would love to give it a try. Thanks again. Um, Okay, and again, that's from Kate. And so, yeah. 
Jen? All right. So our very first sponsor is an excuse for me to gush about libraries because (laughs) I don't know about you, but I basically grew up in my local library. Like, I grew up in a really small town in North Jersey, and it was within walking distance, and I would just go and sit there for hours and take home, like, 13 books. And it was, like, the one place I was allowed to walk by myself as a kid. (laughs) So I have so many fond memories of, like... Just sitting there amongst all of the books and being so happy. And now I live in New York where there are amazing libraries like the central branch of the Brooklyn Library where you can get pie as well as books, which is just like... Yes, please. I mean, (laughs) how can that not be amazing? But really, every library I've ever been to has had something amazing about it. And that is why I'm super excited to talk about today's uh, first sponsor, which is Every Library. And they are an organization, it's the only national organization dedicated to building voter support for libraries. Because believe it or not, there are lots of people out there who want to defund libraries. They don't think the government money should go to them, which is just crazy. Um, But, you know, some people, they just, they don't know, apparently. So (laughs) this organization is working to fight for libraries. So they do informational campaigns. um, They get volunteers to help out with Vote Yes committees on, you know, doing voter referendums. Uh, They talk directly to the public, like right now, about the value and relevance of libraries and librarians. I know so many librarians, too. I mean, maybe that's just a book world thing, but I feel like we both know tons of librarians. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who are all, like, doing amazing work in their communities. And it's not just about the books, right? Like, libraries have story times. I've been to libraries where they have music programs uh, during the summer in particular, if they have a space outside. Like, there's... They do... Like, there's all these libraries with maker labs now, which I still haven't gotten to visit, but I'm super interested in that. Like, there's so many things that libraries are doing, and why would you not want... Anyway, okay, sorry. I will not... (laughs) I will not guess it. Reel it in. (laughs) Why would you not want to support that? So, you can find out more information about what every library is doing by going to action.everylibrary.org slash support local. And we'll throw the link in the show notes so that you can find it. Um, and yeah, you should find out more about what they're doing. Maybe they're doing something in your area. Um, they have all kinds of initiatives and petitions and ways you can donate to help save the libraries in America, which really, really do need our support. So that is the thank you to Every Library for sponsoring today's show. All right. Okay. Um, do you want to do the first? Yeah, yeah. We we'll go in, like, order. order. Okay. Exactly. So, okay. So the first question was historical fiction told from the female point of view. And, Kate, you mentioned a bunch of um, sort of wartime examples. And so I think that you would really like I Shall Be Near to You by Erin Lindsay McCabe, which is a novel about a woman who disguises herself as a man in order to fight alongside her husband during the Civil War, and it was inspired by a real woman's letters home. She, This is, like, based on an actual woman's story. Actually, a bunch of women did this, and there's all kinds of interesting research coming out about it. Um, but this one is about a woman named Rosetta who really doesn't want her... Like, they're just married, and her husband, Jeremiah, is going to enlist... And she doesn't want him to, but he does, um, because he's trying to save up enough money that they can have their own farm. And she 
has as a the only girl in her family or the only excuse me child in her family she's been working alongside of her father for years but now she's like being told that she's just supposed to be a wife and let her husband take care of everything um and she's just not having it so she cuts off all her hair and puts on a pair of you know her husband's old pants and signs up as a union soldier so that she can be with him during the war, and obviously this is complicated. Um, <laughs> so, so then the story follows her, and you know they see battle, and she has to try to keep herself disguised, but he knows that she's there. And how does their relationship change over the course of the war? It's really interesting, um, and I think it's especially interesting because it is based on this one woman's letters home. So it's like it's a cool time period. It's a really beautifully written novel. I think you will dig it. So that is I shall be near to you by. Aaron Lindsay McCabe. Okay, so the second request was for audiobooks in the vein of Bill Bryson and Mary Roach. So my pick for you is The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert. Colbert? K-O-L-B-E-R-T. I listened to this on audio and I loved it so much. The thing that um, I think aligns it with Bill Bryson and Mary Roach is that it's about something very specific, which both of those authors tend to approach some sort of kind of like random... Um, topic to really take a deep dive into. And also, Elizabeth is funny, and she does that thing that Mary Roach does, where she, like, follows experts out in the field to watch them do their thing, and then has really, like, interesting and funny things to say about it. Um, So The Sixth Extinction is kind of depressing, actually. It's about the uh, the five mass extinctions that have occurred on Earth over the last half billion years, or since life on this planet started. Um, and these mass extinctions were periods of time caused by natural events where the diversity of life suddenly and co- almost completely shrank. Um, so they were caused by everything from like asteroid impacts to ice ages and these sort of things. And scientists, uh, scientists mostly agree that the sixth mass extinction is occurring right now and is caused by humans, um, and that this will be our lasting legacy on this planet, that we eliminated the majority of the diversity of life on Earth uh, through our own direct actions. Um, So it's partially a history, obviously, like a scientific history. You're you're, um, going way back billions of years to learn about what caused all of these different mass extinctions. And um, she also talks a lot about the idea, the concept of evolution and extinction in and of itself, which first came around in um, Paris in like the 18th century, because obviously a loving God would never let his subjects go extinct. So the whole concept of extinction in and of itself was pretty revolutionary at the time. Um, So that part of it, the fact that we're like speeding ahead, destroying life on this earth is, you know, a little bit depressing, but her humor kind of makes it a little bearable. Um, And she goes from like the Great Barrier Reef to jungles in South America, studying, like looking for frog species that are slowly disappearing. And she really bops around the world following scientists um, now as they are studying um, how life is changing. So there's a lot of talk about climate change and um, uh, genetic genetic alterations that we're uh, doing to crops, that sort of stuff. Um, So it's really great and interesting and informative and will make you rethink a lot of, like, the plastic that you buy and stuff like that. Um, So that's The Sixth Extinction in Unnatural History by Elizabeth Colbert. I I think I'm saying that right. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) Okay. The next question was for historical romance with strong, confident, awesome female characters. And for you, I recommend... 
The Rogue Pirate's Bride by Shana Galen. Best title ever. Um, <laughs> that's not a pun. I mean, you know, sometimes you get those punny romance titles, and sometimes you just get, like, straight-up crazy. Uh, so <laughs> that's really endearing. Okay, so this is about uh, the daughter of a British admiral and a pirate, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so Raven Russell is... She, her father's an admiral uh, for the British Navy, and... The hero, uh, Captain Cutlass, <laughs> is from France. Um, Amazing. And, <laughs> and he is on a hunt for the man he thinks killed his, like, mentor. Um, and so he's, like, on one quest for vengeance. And then Raven's former fiancé was killed during a skirmish with Cutlass's crew. So she is on a quest for vengeance against Cutlass. And so she di- disguises herself as a boy um, with, like, her friend Percy is, like, following her because he's like, oh, my God, if if your dad finds out he's going to kill me, if I let anything happen to you, I'm going to die. Like, I'm going with you. Um, so the two of them uh confront Cutlass and are, like, challenging him to a sword fight, and he's like, who's this little dude who's trying to, like, kill me? I don't understand what's going on. And then, of course, he figures out she's a lady, and there's all this attraction, and in the meanwhile, there's all these competing vengeance quests. It's a really fun, like, most swashbuckling-liest novel. I've decided that's a word, P.S. Um, <laughs> it's really, really enjoyable. It's not super heavy on the actual history, Perhaps you might have guessed, um, but the historical trappings do feel realistic, um, and there's lots of instances where Raven is like, gotta pass herself off as like the prim and proper daughter of an admiral, and then she like pulls a knife out of her, you know, under her skirt and is like going off and having adventures. So it's a super delightful, really fun romance novel. So that is The Rogue Pirate's Bride by Shana Galen. Okay, so the fourth. Um recommendations to asking for is for poetry um anything i've read very little poetry to date so i just picked my favorite poetry read from um this past year or so and that was citizen by claudia Rankine, which is very timely so and the reason i i picked this is both because it's it's relevant to current events so it, it feels relatable where you can re- i mean you can read a lot of poetry um that feels like it has nothing to do with real life, but is all about like the inner life of the mind or whatever, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not, if you've never read poetry before, something that's relevant to your life and your like daily existence is a little bit easier. Um, also because this collection is uh, kind of narrative, like it's not entirely, um, you know, rhyming couplets. I don't actually, I don't think there are any rhyming couplets in it, but you know what I mean? Like it's got some, um, like not a plot, but it's got um, events that you can follow which I think makes it easier to adjust as a work. Um, so this is about living in quote-unquote post-racial America and how that is not real. And she wrote it um, recently after a series of really highly publicized shootings of young black men by police officers. Um, and the the poems are really... Uh, poems? I just said that really weirdly. The poems are about uh, essentially both microaggressions and just flat out racial aggression that that Claudia Rankine has experienced in her own life. So a lot of some of them are about like her hair or slips of the tongue that people 
say, like, uh, when they meet this, meet her, and she's a professor, you know, she's very well educated and famous, and they meet her and say, oh, you weren't, you don't look like what I expected. And, like, the, the kind of coded stuff that people say to people of color, specifically to black people. Um, yeah, at the supermarket, uh, she talks about Serena Williams and how she's treated by the media. Of course, she talks about violence, gun violence against young black men. Um, one of the more striking poems is just a list of young black men who have been killed by police officers recently. And then depending on the edition of the book you get, names have been added. So if you've got an early edition um, and then you compare it to a newer printing, you know, there are new names on it because of course there are. Um, and ooh, sorry, Amanda. Sorry, that's my phone. That. I said something that made Siri want to talk to me. Um, anyway, so it's a very, of course, affecting and, and heartbreaking and thought-provoking work of poetry, but it's also really accessible if you've never gotten into poetry at all. So that's Citizen by Claudia Rankin. All right. Next question. Mm. This is a sad question. Uh, (laughs) My mother is in the process of dying. When I'm able to read, I want something fun, not what I have on my TBR shelf, which is full of mysteries and stories of death and Jojo Moyes. Yeah, don't read Jojo Moyes right now. Um... I need something light and or irreverent. I love Bill Bryson, Sarah Vowell, Mary Roach, Douglas Adams, Tina Fey, and Chip Kidd. I just ordered the Mindy Killing books, and I'll read any genre. I don't mind something in depth. Just please, no more pain. From Peggy. Okay, Peggy. Uh, so I, yeah, our hearts and thoughts are with you. Um, yeah. And also, I'm going to recommend my first book to you, which is The Lightning Thief by Percy Jackson. Uh, this is like a very famous kid series, but I only recently started reading them because I was like... I don't know. After Harry Potter, I was like, what else could possibly be fun and mm-hmm. good in middle grade? And it turns out, but Preeti, of course, insisted that I read these. <laughs> and it's really enjoyable series. Um, you probably are familiar with the premise. It's about a boy named Percy Jackson who he has, like, attention deficit disorder and he has a hard time with schoolwork and school is just, like, getting super weird. And then his pre-algebra teacher turns into a monster and tries to kill him. Um and all of these strange things are happening in his life, and his mom discovers that these things are going on, and she's like, okay, well, I guess I should probably tell you that, by the way, you're the son of a god, and now you're going to go to the summer camp for other kids who are sons of deities, and he's like, what? Um, and the plot unfolds from there. He has to go on all these quests. He, meet, uh, he meets other kids who are like him, um, and the thing that's so great about the Percy Jackson books is that the author, Rick Riordan, is really intent on, A, portraying as many different kinds of kids as possible, and B, is so... Like, with the dad jokes, I can't even. Like, these books are just full of, like, silly, <laughs> punny reworkings of Greek mythology. So, like, they had some, one in one of the books, they end up going to this casino that's, like, basically supposed to be the island of the Lotus Eaters from the Odyssey, but it's a casino kind of set up. I don't even know. Like, he just has decided to really play with all of the classical uh, Greek mythology figures and 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 allusions and um, adventures and things and has I mean the Pegasus like that Percy rides talks like like a like a Jersey bro like it's just really delightfully fun and distracting and just so silly um, despite the fact that they're like going on quests and fighting monsters but it's a totally different kind of like you know, 
uh, action than in an adult novel. And I just, I find them super great for times when I cannot focus on anything demanding, but I just want to be distracted. They are really good for that. They're really, really fun. So that is The Lightning Thief, which is the first book in the Percy Jackson's and the Olympian series by Rick Riordan. Okay, so my first pick for you is Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day by Winifred Watson, which was, <clears throat> excuse me, published in the late 1930s in the UK and is hilarious. It's about Miss Pettigrew, who is a middle-aged woman who is not, she's not married. She's um, a, worked as a governess most of her life dealing with unruly children. And then one day her employment, her, her the agency that she works for, employment agency, sends her to the wrong address. And she ends up kind of like accidentally working for a nightclub singer named Delegia, uh, with a D, Delegia Lafosse. Um, and she, <laughs> I know, it's great. It's so good. Um, so she like accidentally starts working for her. And since this woman lives this very glamorous uh, life, Miss Pettigrew, goes along with that. So the book takes place over the course of a day. And over the course of this day, she becomes kind of a fixer for Delisia and her like weird love life problems and her, her, her like really young friends um, and their strange issues. And she decides that she kind of loves it. So Miss Pettigrew has lived a pretty uneventful life, right? Um, Dealing with kids and uh, not really like doing anything, but she decides this day working for this bizarre and strange nightclub singer, she's going to do the thing. So she, like, dives headfirst into this job and this world of glitz and glamour and, um, like, alcohol and, and, like, loose women and that whole thing. And she has a great time. And then she, like, she meets a man, and it's just very funny. It's, like, a laugh-out-loud funny, despite the fact... I mean, maybe not despite the fact, but, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, it was written in the 30s, so... Yeah, I would assume that some of the humor would be a little removed, but it's not. It's... It's hilarious. I laugh out loud every time I read it, and I've read it a couple of times. Um, because it's just that kind of light, um, like, it's it's bookended by tragedies. Like, the, the older characters in the book, including Miss Pettigrew, remember the First World War and know that, you know, maybe the second one is coming. So they, like, li- have lived with that kind of sorrow, and that does run in the background a little bit, but mostly it's about overcoming that sort of stuff and going out and just, like, doing what you want and, like, living your life, and it's kind of a English 1930, 1930s YOLO, uh, <laughs> if I may. Show so. title, show title. <laughs> so that's Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day by Winifred Watson. Okay, um... My second pick for you is a comic series uh, that is now in um, volumes, collected in volumes, uh, and it is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl by Ryan North and Erica Henderson. And this comic is a delight. Uh, I don't know if you've ever... I don't know how familiar you are with comics, but this Squirrel Girl, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, is an actual character that exists in comics um, in the Marvel Universe for years and years. At one point, I think she was married to Wolverine or something. But anyway, she's mostly been overlooked for a long time because she's a squirrel girl. Like, what do you do with that in the realm of comics that's all about, like, psychodrama and, like, intense feelings about saving the world? (laughs) Um, She's, like, got a squirrel tail. But so, so Ryan North, who is one of the funniest humans on the planet, and Erica Henderson, who's an amazing artist, have, like, were given this character to do basically what they will with, as far as I can tell. And it is so funny. Um, so in their version, uh, the Squirrel Girl 
she is going to college for computer science um, and also trying to, like, live this double life and, you know, save the world uh, from villains. Except that, like, when, when you know, villains like Galactus comes calling, her solutions to these problems are not to, like, you know, blow them up or anything. Her solution is to, like, lead Galactus to a planet full of protein delicious nuts so that he won't eat earth instead and the jokes are so good oh my god every page is a joke every panel is a joke um it's just really delightful and the characters are so good like her roommate and her roommate's cat are characters in this and she's got a squirrel a squirrel like sidekick named tippy um who has a lot of observations about humans (laughs) which are also delightful it's just great it's it's one of the funniest things i've read in a very long time. Um, the art is just beautiful. There's a lot of body positivity going on in this comic as well, um, because the way that she disguises herself is to like stuff her tail into her pants, so then she's like rocking a big booty. It's great. Um, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I just love it so much. So I feel I feel like you will really enjoy it, and um, it, you could even get it in single issues. But uh, there is a there is a collection out, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, so that is the un. Beatable Squirrel Girl by Ryan North and Erica Henderson. Is it bad that, like, I, I heard a rumor that they were considering Anna Kendricks for a movie version? <gasps> oh my god, that would be perfect. It would. She would be so great, but then, like, my second thought was, yeah, but her butt is not yeah, big enough. it's not big <laughs> enough. They would have to, like, give her, like, some pad. Well, they just give her a tail that she can stuff into her pants. Like, that's how there it you works, go. right? So, <laughs> Like you do. Alright, so my second pick for you is Cold Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons, and apparently I'm doing a full-on, like, 1930s humor thing right now because that's what I read when I don't want to feel my feelings so there you go Uh, Cold Comfort Farm is hilarious it's a parody of like early um, what am I saying early 20th century and late 19th century English countryside novels so like Thomas Hardy and D.H. Lawrence and a little bit Jane Austen like how do you parody a parody because so much of Jane Austen's books are in and of themselves Kind of parodies, but anyway, so it's a parody of all of those very early, um, early modern English lit stuff that you know you read in high school, um, but with just the most it, like intensely weird characters ever. So the okay, so the main character's name is Flora. She's a she lives in the city. She lives in London, and she's very posh and proper and modern, but she falls on hard times. And so she goes to move in with her distant relatives, the Stark Adders, who live on a farm called Cold Comfort Farm in the countryside. And this family did something horrible that no one mentions to her father. And so they feel guilty about it still. And because of that, they take her in when she has nowhere to go, but they don't like her. So she meets all of this like resistance um, from all of the secondary characters who are all very quirky and strange and have their own weird stuff going on. And then are like dealing with incest and religious obsession and and being obsessed with cows for some reason. Um, and the, the Cold Comfort Farm is very, like, dark and gothy in a kind of Northanger Abbey sort of way. Excuse me, but, you know, with chickens. And so Flora takes it upon herself to fix everyone in this family. So she, like, teaches them how to clean and um, kind of, like, helps them work through their interpersonal problems and tries to bring them into the modern world. So you can see where all the parodies of those English um, countryside books would, would come in, trying to, like, pull those characters into modernity. And there's a, you know, a series of pratfalls and situational comedy um, that's very laugh out loud funny, especially if you've already read any of that, um, you know, like great literature of the UK kind of stuff. But uh, the problems 
are serious but treated in such a way that they seem super ridiculous and funny. So that's Cold Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons, which also came out in the 30s. I don't know why I'm doing this, but there it is. Isn't there a movie of that too? Yes, with Kate Beckinsale. Is it good? It's so good. I've never seen it, but now I really feel like I need to read the book and then watch the movie. <laughs> because Kate Beckinsale is so good at that, like, looking down your nose, snooty, Ooh, disgusted yes. face, which uh-huh. is all this character makes this whole time, because, you know, she moves in with a bunch of... I mean, the, the characters in this book are, like, the Beverly Hillbillies, but <laughs> British. So, like, only funny and good things can come from that. Right. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um... Question three. Uh, I didn't write down the name of this one. I'm sorry, but uh, let's see. It says, I need some help in choosing a book for my mom's birthday. I would like to purchase uh, a book for her mom's birthday, which is July 18th. She likes to read books that challenge her, but not too much. She enjoyed All the Light We Cannot See and Burial Rights. She's a fan of books by Temple Grandin and Oliver Sacks. Her Christmas Christmas books are usually books like Burial Rights and The Orphan Master, so she likes things that are kind of literary. She also enjoys rereading To Kill a Mockingbird. Basically, my mom is well re- is well read. At least I would like to think so. I do know that she likes to have meat on the bones of her books, and I don't think she would object to a chunkster. Uh, oh, so she, she signed it, a bookish daughter looking for books for her bookish mother. That's nice. Okay, you go first. Okay, Let me stop talking. <laughs> uh, my first pick for you is *The Tiger's Wife* by Taya Obrecht, which is Obrecht. I always want to make make a hard I think K sound in there, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> this book <laughs> came out a few years ago, and like during the middle of a whole like tiger something title uh, like pile up, it was fair. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, sorry. Um, this book is about a young woman named Natalia who is a doctor, um, and she lives in a in like an unnamed Balkan country that's in the grips of you know just years of conflict. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And she is going on a mission, like a Doctors Without Borders type mission, to an orphanage. Um, and she, but in the process of going to this orphanage, there start to be all of these things that are leading her back to memories of her early life and um, to things uh, like that are also sort of buried in the country's history. Um, so there's all these secrets that are starting to surface, uh, both like actual like physical secret things in the landscape and then secrets uh, in family and country uh, situations. Um, and uh, she's also still reeling. The reason she's on this mission in the first place is because she's reeling from her grandfather's death, which she's having a really hard time getting over um, because he told her grandmother that that he was on his way to meet her. And instead, he went to some random place and died alone, and she just doesn't understand why he did this. So the book is both about sort of the context of being growing up in this country that's a place of conflict, and also dealing with these family issues that she has. It's really lovely. It's a it's a debut novel, and I think it's very impressive for that. Uh, I, I mean, it's an impressive novel in and of itself, but then when you think about it being a debut novel, um, the emotions are so real. The setting is really beautifully written about. Um, there's this amazing scene that I always think of when I think of this book that's like these, because of bombing, these zoo animals have gotten out, and so she and her grandfather are like walking the streets watching like the giraffe just like strolling down the streets of their town. Um, so it's very evocative and really beautifully done in terms of the imagery as well as the story itself. So that is The Tiger's Wife by Taya Obrecht. Okay. <clears throat> so my first pick is The Girl Who Fell from the Sky by Heidi Duro. Oh, this book. So good. I know. It's a, it's a mm, gut punch. 
Um, but the main character's name is Rachel, and it's set, it takes place in the 80s, I think. Um, yeah, in the 80s. And she is a biracial girl who is living with her grandmother. She ha- Her father was a GI, a black GI, and her mother was, I think, Dutch or some sort of European, um, white, blonde, pale kind of thing. So she um, is back in the States. There's a bit, there's a tragic accident that kills her mother and her brother and her sister. And so she's the only survivor of the accident, which I can't tell you about because, you know, spoilers. Um, it's, it's, really, it's a really important plot point. And so her father, who is, is still in the military, can't take care of her because he's, you know, lost his entire family and he's dealing with his own grief. So he sends her to live with her grandmother in Portland. And she is struggling with um, her identity, basically. She grew up mostly in Europe, which does not necessarily look upon a biracial person with as much scorn as we do in America. So when she's here, she's not black enough to hang out with the black kids. She's not white enough to hang out with the white kids. She's made fun of for every aspect of her appearance, including her hair. Her eyes are blue. Um, you know, her skin's not the right color. People call her an Oreo, make fun of her for talking like she's white, this sort of thing. So her, in living with her grandmother, who is black, her grandmother tries to kind of reshape her and remove memories that Rachel has of her white mother and, um, give her a a fuller, more identity that that she thinks that Rachel should have. So Rachel, it's kind of a coming of age. She grows up a lot, uh, deals with stuff like, you know, men inappropriately pursuing her because they think she looks exotic. She's trying to find acceptance, but she does it like, you know, a lot of kids do in like inappropriate ways. And eventually she is, um, and she's also trying to remember or figure out what happened in that, in the accident that's kind of shaping the entire book and what it means for her and her family. So it's, it's a hard, it's not easy. It's a hard read. There's a lot of meat on these bones. It's not a chunkster, but it's a great read. And the writing is really fantastic. Um, and it's just, man, right in the feels, though. <laughs> that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Um, so that's The Girl Who Fell From the Sky by Heidi Duro. My second pick also has girl in the title because publishing. Um, sure. <laughs> it's called The Girl From the Garden by Parnas Forutan. Um, and it is... A really amazing family saga. Uh, it is a. It follows a family of a wealthy family of Persian Jews in early 20th century Iran. Um, and the head of the family is they. He they're having trouble conceiving. So his wife Raquel is like for whatever reason they just can't have kids. And of course they have to have a kid to inherit like the family wealth and the family name and to carry on the family business. Um, and so he takes. He, they're trying to decide whether or not he's going to take a second wife or, like, a mistress and, you know, have a child. And in the meantime, there's this, like, matriarch of a woman who is kind of awful to everybody except of her son. And and they, they also live with uh, their... I think it's his brother. There's multiple family members in the same household, and there's a lot of drama. Um, super, super well-done family drama. And then it's also got this sort of... I had never read a book set, you know, in the Jewish quarter of Iran. Um, and so that was fascinating to read about sort of the the different tensions and the ways that they do fit in society, the ways that they don't. Um, the, you know, sort of feel of the book is very beautifully done. There's all of these like great details and, you know, the house that they live in and the tree in the backyard and what they're wearing. And it's just so meticulous um, in its setting that I really felt drawn into the world of the book, as well as drawn in by all of these like family stuff that's going on. Um, so there's there's sad things, there's happy things. Um, I think on the whole, it's like it's like most books about family. Like you see 
how families both can heal and hurt each other. So that is The Girl from the Garden by Parnas Farutan. I hope I'm saying that right. Apologies if I'm not. Okay, my second pick for you is The Architect's Apprentice by Alif Shafak. Um, Alif Shafak is probably the most well-known writer in uh, in Turkey right now. And this is a chunkster. It's about 500 pages. Um, historical fiction. And I love this so much. It takes place in the 16th century. And you're following a boy named Jahan, who is about... 10 or 12, I think, when the book starts. He arrives in Istanbul, and he's going to be an animal trainer for the sultan. Um, specifically, he's in charge of an elephant named Shota that he... Um, that's actually... That's very smart. And she, he becomes, like... Well, he's the elephant's keeper. But they also become friends, you know, like you do as, you, as you're a child with an animal that you're around all the time. Um, so you follow his adventures with Chota, and then he befriends and very quietly and very secretly, for obvious reason, falls in love with the sultan's daughter. Um, he gets an education from the palace, like most of the people who work there, and his education kind of leads him on this path to the empire's chief architect. And he, re- the architect realizes that Jahan has a lot of intelligence and a lot of innate and natural talent when it comes to architecture, so he takes him under his wing as an, as an apprentice, and together they build some of the most beautiful buildings, you know, in Turkey and across the world. And you follow him as he grows up, as Jahan grows up, and he he travels um, to Rome and meets, like, Michelangelo, and there's a lot of palace and court intrigue. And while the novel has a definite plot, like, you're following this boy as he grows up and as politics starts to kind of rip the city apart, um, but it's it's not, I wouldn't call it plot-driven. Like, you're here for the imagery and the world-building, um, of Istanbul during, you know, the 1500s. And it's mostly told in vignettes, like scenes from the life of this boy as he becomes, as he goes from being a poverty-stricken elephant tamer to an architect to one, or an an apprentice um, to one of the more powerful men in the empire. And he eventually, amongst the other apprentices, I think there were three or four of them total, um, a bunch of jealousy and rivalries start to emerge as they get older. And then as the chief architect himself ages and because becomes less competent and less able to keep a check on that sort of thing, infighting happens. And, you know, there's a big um, climax I'm not going to tell you about. But um, the backdrop of the Ottoman court is really beautiful. And I had never read a novel. I mean, I had read novels set in the Ottoman Empire, but not specifically in like the palace in the 1540s. So it's a really specific and fantastic and beautiful book with one of the best covers, if that matters to you. <laughs> I really like the cover. Um, so that's The Architect's Apprentice by Elif Shavak. All right. Question four is from Natasha. I fell in love with the Passage series by Justin Cronin. I can't find anything that comes close to his beautiful way of writing. I need more. All right. We do indeed have suggestions for you. Uh, My first suggestion is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Um, This book is also, like The Passage, a post-apocalypse story told both in the moment of the catastrophe and uh, about 100 years into the future. Is that right? Yeah. So it's got a similar structure, but that's kind of where all similarities end, except for the excellent writing, Um, because in Station Eleven, it is a, like, killer flu that has changed the world. Um, It's a pandemic. And instead of having like vampires that you have to go kill, uh, the struggle is to save, really, is to save civilization, like as in arts and culture. Um, So one of the main characters is a girl named Kirsten who has like some very vague memories. Oh, it can't be a hundred years in the future if she's still alive. I can't remember what the time jump is. Apologies. It's like a, maybe it's like 20 years. I can't quite remember. In any case, Kirsten 
Kirsten is an actress in a traveling symphony where a bunch of musicians and actors uh, have come together because they believe that, you know, survival is insufficient. Um, and they are going around performing Shakespeare for the surviving communities. Um, and, of course, they run into terrible, you know, people who are awful and taking advantage of the lack of government in situations. But there's also these really lovely enclaves of, like, what would you do if you were stuck in an airport? And then never left the airport. Like, you were grounded because you couldn't fly because of the pandemic. And then, like, now there's this community that's been living in the airport for decades. And, like, what would the what would that community look like? Um, and she's just such a good writer. I just, her sentences are great. Her characters are great. Like, there's so much depth of thought in this book, as well as a really engaging plotline. Um, and I know we recommend it, like, every five minutes. But that's because it's really good. So that is <laughs> Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Okay, so I picked another post-apocalyptic chunkster um, by a dude who's really good at writing post-apocalyptic chunk chunksters, and that's The Fireman by Joe Hill. This is a pretty new book that we've mentioned before, um, but Joe Hill is just, man, he's got kind of the top of his game with this. So in this book, uh, there's a worldwide pandemic of spontaneous combustion, uh, and it's in the form of a disease called dragon scale that leaves you, when you are infected, it's kind of like a fungus, so when you get these spores, you become, you get these black and gold marks on your bodies that, that, that make you look like, you know, like you're a dragon, like they're dragon scales. And then eventually you kind of burst into flame. Um, millions of people are infected, fires erupt everywhere, there's no cure. And then one of the main character, Harper, is a nurse who finds out that she is pregnant. And she has made this pact with her husband that if they get infected, they've seen what happens. She's obviously seen what happens as a nurse to people who are infected. So she makes this pact with her husband that if either of them get infected, they will end their own lives. Um, but then Harper finds out that she's pregnant, so when she's infected, when she becomes infected, she wants to stay alive until she gives birth. Um, because she, at the hospital, she's seen women who were pregnant and had dragon scale give birth to perfectly healthy kids, so she thinks that she can do it if she can stay alive long enough to have her baby. So her husband kind of loses it. Her community collapses in on itself, and she starts to hear rumors about someone called the fireman who is a stranger. Um, he was learned to control the dragon scale. Like he has the disease, but he's able to stop himself from igniting and he's using the fire um, to protect people who are being hunted down for being infected. So he's like, she goes to find him to save her own life so she can have her kid. So, um, you know, lots of big drama questions about ethics and all of that, which at the heart of itself, that's basically what the passage is about too. Um, ethics and what do we do Um at the end of days, I mean, that's a kind of a little, like a literal way of interpreting it. But at, when you are living in a crisis, what comes out of you, what comes out of all of us is, um, I think, the question in the heart of both of these books. So that's The Fireman by Joe Hill, which is still in hardback if that's the thing that, that bugs you. Um, so library it up until next year when the paperback comes out. Two thumbs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, okay, my second pick for you is an author because I'm having a really hard time deciding which book to recommend because they're all so good. Uh, China Mieville is one of my favorite writers of words, if that makes sense. Like, I have a lot, for a lot of different kinds of favorites. And China Mieville plays with words in this, like, super interesting and also very intellectual way that I find incredibly satisfying, and he knows how to write a good story, which is just a combo that's killer. Um, I'm convinced that his brain is maybe the strangest place 
like, ever. Because mm-hmm. the ideas that come out of it, you're like, how? What did you, where did this even come from? Like, it's, Are you high? Yeah, like, <laughs> what drugs do you do? But I don't, I think he's just, like, he's, like, got, in like, an economy degree. I don't even know. His, his, his brain is a strange and amazing place. Um... I think I'm going to give you two of my favorite options because there are a lot of his books. Uh, the first book of his that I ever read is called The City in the City, and it is a sort of murder mystery, except it takes place in these two cities that are not actually separate. They are kind of both the same city, but you live in one or the other, and you're not supposed to notice the other one. And so there's all these weird rules for like what you're allowed to look at and what you're not allowed to look at and what you're allowed to wear and what you're not allowed to wear. And the main character is a detective who there's this murder, but it's on an actual border of these cities that are on top of each other. And so he has to work with law enforcement on the other quote unquote side. Um, And then nothing is as it seems and everything gets kind of crazy. It's one of his shortest books. So I feel like that makes it a good introduction. It's also amazing. Um, he clearly loves mysteries, and this was his, like, ode to the noir genre. But because he can't do anything simply, it's like a crazy pants, also treatise on, like, politics and um, uh, how we decide to ignore certain things about the places we live and, like, what choices we make in the process of doing that. Um the other book that I think might be a good introduction to him is his recent short story collection called Three Moments of an Explosion, which is newly out in paperback and is just great because it showcases his full range. Like, there are some stories that are funny. There are some stories that will give you nightmares. There are some stories that are, like, weird exercises in form. Um, one of my favorites is about a young boy who is chasing glaciers because they are flying in the air. Like, all of these glaciers have suddenly appeared over the skies of London, and people are like investigating them and sending YouTube videos down and landing on them illegally and the government is trying to control like who has access to the glaciers but they're moving so what happens when they go over international or different borderlines and meanwhile this kid is just like caught up in the magic of there being a glacier floating over his town um and so that's just one of the stories, but there's a lot of really great stuff in there so yeah and his his writing style is just so intense and amazing and interesting. So that is China Evil, and you could start with any number of them, but The City in the City or Three Moments of an Explosion are the ones I would recommend. Okay, my second pick for you is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, and this is a science fiction novel that takes place in the future, and we have received a transmission of what sounds like singing uh, from an alien civilization coming from somewhere in the vicinity of Alpha Centauri, so not too terribly far away. Um, so the Jesuits, the Catholic Church, organizes a mission to send eight Jesuit priests um, out to the aliens to essentially, you know, convert them, <laughs> as missionaries tend to do. So these missionaries go off to this new um, planet, which they call Rakat, and Father Emilio is the main character. He's the only survivor. So when the book opens, you're with him. He's come back. He is in pretty poor shape. He's on trial for committing crimes uh, on the planet, um, pretty heinous crimes, and his hands are mutilated in these, this like really horribly disturbing way. And so you are the best of the book leads you through flashbacks to find out exactly what happened um, to the mission and what is kind of up with these aliens and the music that they make. And while it is, you know, it's essentially a first contact novel, and those are really useful for um, interrogating 
our own view of ourselves and how so much of what we take for granted about humanity to any other being on the planet probably looks like something disgusting and awful and, and strange and weird. Um, so there's a lot of that happening. It's also a book about faith. Mary, Mary Dory Russell, I think, is actually Jewish, but she she grew up Catholic. So she's got a lot of stuff to say to and about the Catholic Church. And a lot of that is in this book. Um, and she's really interrogating the concept of faith as a whole and what it drives people to do in its own name um, and what kind of God would allow the sort of things that happen on this planet to happen and maybe on other planets. We don't know. Hmm. Um, so it's got a little bit of everything like the passage does. Like there's this apocalypse although it's really just an apocalypse for Father Emilio, um, but um, Earth civilization shattering event that happens with first contact. Um, and it's also got all of those ethical questions about what makes humanity humanity and who do we end up being when we're pressured by some big outside force like discovery an alien civilization. And is our faith good enough to get us through something like that? Um, so anyway, it's a big book riot favorite. A lot of contributors and staff members are kind of obsessed with this book and reread it regularly. Um, raises, Jen, ra raises hand. Yes. Yeah. Me here. <laughs> All right. So go check it out. So that's The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Woot woot. Okay, moving on. Oh, sponsor time. It's you again. <laughs> it's me. Okay, so we're going to talk about our, our second sponsor, which is La La La, The Invasion of the Tearling, <laughs> which is this. I actually did make jazz hands right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one can see me going la la la. Anyway, um, so The Invasion of the Tearling by Erica Johansson is volume two in the Queen of the Tearling trilogy. It's now out in paperback. Um, this is, I love this trilogy so much. And the third one comes out at the end of the year, which I'm really excited about. Um, so the series combines magic and fantasy, adventure, mystery. There's a little bit of romance. And it's about a young princess who has to claim her dead mother's throne and learn to be a ruler. She was raised outside of the royal palace and doesn't know anything about the state of the kingdom when she takes her throne. Um, and her kingdom is in, like, a shambles. It's, there's a lot of injustice going on. There's human trafficking. There's uh, religious fundamentalism, oppression of women. There's a lot of poverty and starvation, crime. All this kind of stuff is going on. And so she has to take the throne and figure out how to solve these problems. And one of the things that she does is immediately end the human trafficking um, Oh, what's the economy? Uh, trade agreement that she has with a neighboring ruler of a neighboring kingdom and that ruler turns out to be like very supernaturally evil and kind of comes for our heroine um in ways both military and magical and so the second volume continues that story of the battles between these two queens and um as kelsey the main character tries to hold on to her throne and solve all of these um you know, all of this strife and horrible things that are happening in her kingdom. And the thing that I like about it, uh, it's, you know, it's a brew of this like dystopian high fantasy. And I'm, I'm talking, there's a the whole other plot line that's very science fiction-y that I'm not going into because it would spoil um, a lot of the history of the kingdom. But it, it really does have a little bit of everything in it. And it's super, super feministy, uh, which I appreciate. Kelsey is very competent. Um, so she, she doesn't make decisions lightly. She, as a ruler should, takes counsel from the intelligent people she surrounded herself with and then makes the decision that she thinks is correct, uh, which you don't, I feel like, read about a lot of um, from rulers of any gender or variety or in any genre. Um, so it's nice and refreshing. So do check it out. The second volume is out. The Queen of the Tearling, the first volume has been out, been out for, um, I think, two years. So you can go ahead and pick that up. And that is The Invasion of the Tearling by Erica Johansson. And thank you very much for sponsoring the show. Okay. 
What are we talking about? Question five. This is from Brittany. She says, I'm always looking for books that are not extremely well known. What are some fiction books that you think have fallen under the radar? I love this question. It's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My first suggestion for you is The Voice of the River by Melanie Raython. Um, And it is, the whole book takes place over the course of a single day uh, from the early morning to late evening. And the plot, well, the event at the heart of it is that a young boy um, jumps into a river to save his dog. Uh, the, the river is frozen, or they think it's frozen, and the dog, like, is, you know, jumping around on it and falls in, and the boy follows the, the dog into the river. And it gets figured out, thankfully, at some point. And so there's a rescue mission. Um, but really, the book is, I mean, that is the plot of the book, but it's so amazingly done because it really actually is all about these different people's lives and the way they intersect through the sort of catalyst of this event. Um, So there's, you know, a homeless boy and a mother who doesn't have kids and a man who had a very complicated, terrible relationship with his father. And it's you meet all of these different people in the community. And it does this book does that thing that really amazing fiction can do where it just shows you all these different lives. Um, But it's actually really short books. So they're like, snapshots almost but she manages to accomplish so much with these brief insights into the different characters um and there's also a lot of nature in the book um there's she's clearly got a very intense relationship like so like it brings to mind like annie dillard or terry tempest williams where your writing is and your books are really informed by the nature around you so somebody actually referred to this book as like eco avant-garde which i'm not sure exactly <laughs> what that means but like okay sure um it is but deep, i like it <laughs> yeah it's deeply about nature and and humanity Humanity's uh, relationship with nature as well. So um, I, I just think this is a beautifully written sort of gem of a book that I don't know really anyone else who's read. So you can be the next person I know who's read this book. So that's The Voice of, a, of the River by Melanie Raython. Okay, my first pick for you is Mon by Kim Tsui, and it is translated by someone who I didn't... Oh, I did write it down. Did I write it? Yeah, Sheila Fishman, sorry. Um, This is tiny. It's like 140 pages, and it's this poetic and beautiful book about loneliness and love and Vietnamese food, which what else do you want, really? (laughs) I, like, wish that everyone on the planet had read this. So Mon is the main character. She's a girl uh, growing up in Vietnam. She is an orphan who is found in a garden by a bunch of nuns and then adopted um, by a woman she calls Maman, uh, you know, her mother. Maman is a spy during the Vietnam War. And in order to find security for her daughter as her daughter is becoming older, she marries her off. So Maman marries Mon off to a Vietnamese guy who owns a restaurant and lives in Montreal. So Mon moves to Montreal to help her husband run this restaurant, her husband who she obviously does not love. They don't have any sort of um, complex or loving relationship. It's mostly just duty and respect and doing the thing. They drift along together, having children and living their life in this restaurant. And then Mon discovers that she's actually an extremely talented chef. So she makes a friend with a woman next door and together they expand this restaurant. She becomes wildly successful. Um, all of her, the dishes that she creates are about memory for her and emotion and like capturing the sense of place from her childhood growing up in a really uh, volatile place um, and then moving to a, an equally, not equally, but like 
another complicated place. Montreal is complicated uh, racially. So she has to, she's working out her identity issues through the food that she makes. The food writing in this book is amazing and makes me so hungry. Um, anyway, so she becomes famous. She writes a cookbook. She goes to France on a trip for work and meets a married chef who she falls in love with and has an affair with. And that sets her down this path of obsession and the kind of stuff that comes, you know, with having an affair when you are in a in a marriage, a long-term, decades-long marriage that has nothing to do with love. So she's discovering that sort of love for the first time and just watching her do it and describe how she feels for this band through the food that she makes. It's just so good. Oh, my gosh. And I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's the best. And the chapters are mostly very short, like half a page of just vignettes uh, that Toy has written about, you know, Mon sitting down and making crepes and just like how you can write 200 words about making crepes and also somehow make it about the love of your life and heartbreak is just like it's it's breathtaking so that's man by kim Thuy. my second pick is how to get filthy rich in rising asia by mosin hamid uh and he is the author of the reluctant fundamentalist which was like an international bestseller but this book i don't I don't ever hear people talking about it, and I thought it was stunning. So this is, uh, as you might guess from the title, the theoretical concept behind this book is as, as a self-help business book, but that is not what this book is, even a little bit. Um, <laughs> instead, it's the story of a young, of a man who grows up uh, like poor in the country and becomes a corporate tycoon. And the book is written at, all in second person, so it's like, and then you do this, and then you do that, because as is the concept like he's theoretically describing how you too can go from being poor to a corporate tycoon but actually it's just a beautiful beautiful life story novel um and it like i like lose my words when i talk about this book um and the hero doesn't have a name so it really does want you to put yourself in his shoes um so you know he he, like, gets out of the country and goes to the city and, you know, makes some poor choices about who he falls in with. But then he, like, figures out how to, you know, corner the market on water, which is, you know, water rights are such an interesting thing. Um, and then, but in the meantime, there's this girl who's, you know, sort of rising on her own arc to stardom. Um, and their love story is, you know, very troubled and, and they're together and then they're not together and they're apart. And then he marries somebody else and has kids and then he's in the hospital and he's dying but maybe he's not dying and it's just it's just so moving and so beautifully written um i i just love this book so so much so uh yeah i i and i think it really touches on a lot of issues um internationally speaking that are very relevant to our lives and our understanding um i mean it's set in the middle east so there's that um or excuse me, Rising Asia, like, it's that border. Anyway, okay, I, I'm going to stop <laughs> talking now because I'm, like, stumbling over my words and getting confused. But anyway, everybody needs to read it. It's called How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia by Mohsen Hamid, and it's so good. Okay, my second pick for you is Great by Sarah Benincasa, who's amazing. Sarah Benincasa, please follow her on Twitter. We do love her, her yes. <laughs> Um, but Great is a LGBTQ retelling of The Great Gatsby. It's also gender-flipped, and it's about teenage girls. So... What else do you want from me? <laughs> um, I, I love this book so much. The Great Gatsby is one of my favorite 
favorite book. I have I have a Great Gatsby tattoo. Like it lives in my heart, right? And so I'm I'm usually a little wary of retellings or new adaptations. Not because I don't feel like it's a story that needs to not be messed with, but because it's like you know holds a place for me, and I just don't want it to be done in a way that insults the original. And this is not that. This in no way insults the original. And I think the retelling of it through a queer lens is is enriches the story in ways that are really important. So um, the Nick character in this version is named Naomi. Her mother has recently become wealthy um, in like a Martha Stewart-y cupcake chain kind of way and is taking her daughter to spend a summer in the Hamptons. Um, and Naomi is kind of... Like, she sticks out, right? These kids who summer in the Hamptons um, have been doing this their whole lives. They've grown up wealthy. They're very cliquish. And so she feels kind of um, out of place. She makes friends with, uh, or is the, are they cousins? I don't remember. Anyway, um, she is connected, in a way I can't recall, to uh, a, a beautiful young girl named Delilah Fairweather, who is the daisy of the story. And Delilah kind of takes her under her wing and they and takes her out to all these parties um, and tries to make her feel at home. And the whole summer is sort of up, upended by Naomi's next-door neighbor named Jacinta, who is mysterious, is a teenage girl who turns out to be a very famous fashion blogger and is obviously very wealthy and has is living in this house, this huge house in the Hamptons with no parents. And she has carefully constructed these huge parties and all of these, um, this, this just like glamorous image. Obviously this is the Gatsby character. Um, and she befriends Naomi in order to get at Delilah because they have a past, um, and there are secrets. And if you've read the great Gatsby, you can probably kind of guess what some of Jacinta's secrets are. Um, but they're not all, it's not a, um, it's not like a one-to-one ratio. It's not exactly the same, obviously, because She's a lesbian teenager in modern day and, and not a dude in the 20s. Um, so, but at the same time, it's still a critique of glitz and modernity and the um, effort, like the overdone materialism of modern life, which is not that different from the overdone materialism of, you know, the 20s. Um, so it fits right in. The Gatsby story fits right into the Hamptons, as is probably unsurprising. So go read Great. And that's all it's called. It's just called Great by Sarah Benincasa. And that's our show. Yes. Woo! Just hands again. <laughs> um, so if you are a fan or not, whatever, please go uh, rate us, leave a review on iTunes. It makes it easier for other people to find the show when they are searching for it. You can find us on social media. I'm on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson, and Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you to our sponsors, The Invasion of the Cheerling and Every Library, for sponsoring the show. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.